Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and as I do each and every week, it is my privilege to welcome you to the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm really excited because over the next three weeks, we will be celebrating the Christmas holiday here on the podcast. Today, we'll be doing that by sharing with you a review from the new Christmas film by Candace Cameron Bure from Great American Family called A Christmas Present, and we will get into that in a little bit. Following this week, we will be taking the next two weeks after that to share with you my top 10 editions of A Christmas Carol of all time. Now, this was in some ways a difficult list to come up with, but I think you'll enjoy what I have to share with you about each one, and I think that it will be something that might encourage you to reconsider this classic story once again. This has always been an important story to my dad and consequently to my family. So we always spend the Christmas holidays watching version upon version. And so I thought it would be fun to go through my top 10. I will get more into the criteria of that when we get to next week's episode. But for now, I just plan to join us for those two episodes where I will outline my top 10 Christmas Carol episode. As I said today, I'm looking forward to reviewing with you Candace Cameron Bure's uh, A Christmas Present, the new movie that she just put together for Great American Family. They are uh, producing a number of new movies this holiday season, and I've seen a few of them so far. I have been impressed, and I'm excited to dig into that with you. But first, let's talk about what is going on. I have a lot to share with you today, so we're going to get right into it. And first, we're going to talk about college education in America. Welcome back. President Biden's student loan bailout turning into a total debacle. The legal fight now headed to the Supreme Court. But remember when the big guy bribed voters and said the cash handout was just weeks away? Remember this? We're going to win that case. I think in the next two weeks you're going to see those checks going out. That's 16 million people who will be hearing from the Department of Education that they've been approved and who should be seeing relief in the coming days. Yeah, they should be, but it's pretty much an illegal cash grab. That was back in November. It is now December, and the president hasn't paid up yet. And the Supreme Court will take up this case in February, which means we likely won't know their decision until next June. But the Biden administration not waiting. His education secretary has begun notifying student loan borrowers that they are approved for up to $20,000 in university party cash. Uh, but he's going to have to take that one back. Um, so, Harold, my big issue with this is that it has turned into uh, this political debate as to whether or not the government owes you a college education. So Elizabeth Warren is going after Republicans. Why don't we go after these colleges and universities who are making college so expensive and keep raising tuition prices uh, without giving us more professors and more learning? I agree with you 100 percent. So the Supreme Court's going to talk here, going to speak here, and they will they will resolve this matter. and We'll all have to follow uh, follow what they say. 
first, and the question is whether or not he has administrative authority to do this. He being, we'll say she one day, but whether or not the president has the authority to do it and the judge doesn't think so. I actually happen to think that the president has the authority to do it, but I don't like what they did because I think what you're saying is the more important thing. First of all, we should prioritize what we're going to, if we're going to forgive debt for some kids, the professions and the kinds of things we need more people doing. And as, as well, we need to incentivize people going into certain things. And two, you raised the most important point. We'll come back and do this every three to five to seven to 10 years because colleges are raising these tuitions. I don't know what kids and what families and more importantly, what the overall society is getting when you double tuition over three or four years. Uh, are we healthier? Are we more productive? Are we producing uh, better kids? Are we producing better citizens, smartest? I don't think that is the case. So if I were the president, Again, I would convene the presidents of these Say universities. By lot. the way, I yeah. like halibut, too. <laughs> I would convene the presidents of these universities, private and public alike, and say, what are you doing? What are the upward pressures? Mm. And what can we do to contain it? Because ultimately, we as taxpayers are the ones not only paying the tuition, but we're also paying for the fact that we're not producing graduates who are taking the jobs, taking the, taking the, uh, the risk that we need as a society and as a country to succeed going forward. So I agree with you. Yeah, and it's affecting their lives, because if they owe this much in student loan debt, that means they're having to put off other major life decisions. That means depopulation, Judge. Uh, but but let's go to some of these. We'll bring in the illegals. They'll populate. That's what they want. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, let me be very clear and say that I realize that college debt is a very serious problem and needs to be dealt with. I realize that that is a fact of the matter, and that is something that we all have to face head on. But let me just say to you, first of all, that I think that the biggest problem comes with the fact that if you are to pay off these 20 or 30,000 of college loans, I'm sure there will be some people for whom that is all they have to pay and they will be grateful to be out from under their student debt. But for the majority of students for whom you are forgiving this, it's only a small fraction of the debt. That's the first thing to say. The second thing I would say is if you're going to forgive this debt and then turn around and give the class of 2023, the class of 2024, and the class of 2025 similar loans, similar opportunities to go into debt, you are not solving any problems. And the next thing I would say is that when I was in college, granted, I paid a lot less than kids are now. But I paid every dime of my college education, and I knew that if I got poor grades, I would have to retake the classes to get the good grades. So it was a very motivating factor to me to do well, because I did not want to have to retake classes. I also have seen stories of someone getting a free education uh, because of who they are, a.k.a. an American Indian, And they didn't really care about their education because it was paid for. And the particular story that I'm thinking about, they bombed out of their freshman first semester because all they cared about was partying and everything was paid for them, including their apartment and their tuition at Michigan State. Now, this is a personal issue, right? Because it takes personal integrity and personal responsibility to do well in school. But I'm just saying that the... The very fact of making tuition affordable or making it uh, free, as Bernie Sanders is wanting to say that it should be, is not going to solve the problem. That's the first part of this. 
The second part of this is whether the president has even the authority to do this. There are very few things that the president has unilateral authority to do. So at the very least, Joe Biden should have said, I want to give college loan forgiveness. Here is my proposal. And then the Congress could weigh in on it and approve the president's choices. That's the way this should have gone from a constitutional standpoint. But even from a practical standpoint, paying off college loans has its own difficulties. And so I'm not opposed to people paying off loans. I think that it would be nice if the government would maybe give scholarships if you served in some capacity uh, in the government. If you served in some capacity uh, in volunteer work that helps others, maybe you should get college scholarships for that. But it should not be a loan. The, the, the lie of college loans is that you're going to get out of college with a four-year degree, you're going to get a, a job the next day, and then you're going to be able to pay off that college loan. I have never worked full-time since I got out of college. Yes, there are mitigating factors like my disability, but I often reflect on the fact that if I had gone into debt for college, my not being able to find a full-time job would have been a lot more pronounced of a problem than it was because I was able to pay for my schooling. And having to pay for my schooling kept me in check in other ways as well. For instance, I always wanted to do a full load of credits, but typically I could only afford to do somewhere in the neighborhood of four to eight credits a semester, at least in the beginning. I think I started out with five because it was a one five credit hour class, and then I would do four to seven from there on out. But that was about all I could handle, and it ended up being all I could academically handle as well. So God had a way of balancing those things out. And so I, I appreciate wanting to give people relief, but part of the reason that we are in the college loan situation that we are in is because the government took over college loans, and every time the government does something like that, there is an extremely high cost of doing business. And as the commentator said in this story, we do need to address questions of why college is so expensive. I would say that's only the first question we need to address. We also need to address how important and how imperative college is. Because for some career paths, maybe it is. But for other career paths, maybe they can take a one-year program to get certified in something. Welders can do a one-year to 18-month program and get paid 60 or 70 grand a year and not pay out the hundreds of thousands of dollars that college currently is for the majority of Americans. So I think we need to manage expectations, and I think we need to take a real honest look about what the best way to approach this is. But just carte blanche saying everybody's going to be forgiven Twenty to $30,000 because the president says so, I think sets a bad precedent. And I do hope that this gets stopped and that we work our way around to a more feasible model of what should be done in the future. Well, a recent survey of Americans shows that they are losing respect for their military. 
The Pentagon is having a major recruitment issue, and it could be partly because many Americans are losing faith in the military. A recent survey from the Ronald Reagan Institute reveals the alarming trend. It finds that trust in our nation's military is down to just 48 percent, a shocking drop from 70 percent in 2018. Sixty-two percent of people said the change is because leadership has become too politicized and woke practices weighs in on the perception of our forces, with 50 percent saying that the push to be PC has decreased their confidence in the military in a major way. And therefore, we have six percent of Americans that say they are willing to serve and seven percent that say that they are extremely willing to serve. Hegseth, indeed alarming, but it's a clear and direct reason why. Absolutely. I mean, people see precisely what's going on. First word you can say is Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So what happens in the debacle in Afghanistan occurs. No one is held accountable. It's an utter failure. And you want to send your sons and daughters into an institution that executes like that? Mm -hmm. Add on top of that vaccine mandates. Add on top of that the political correctness and social justice that's infected the top of our Pentagon. I mean, Lloyd Austin is a joke. He's not a military leader. He's, He's got no background in being a good one. He's not interested war fighting is we're interested in engineering uh, uh, through uh, social experiments in the military you see it in military academies you see it in ads you see it in the mandatory training so a lot of the military is a family business my grandpa served legacy. my dad served it's legacy. legacy and for the first time you're seeing a lot of families say i don't know do i want my kid to go into the family business mm-hmm. just like cops right same thing or, or firefighters you create a culture where it's about politics or something other than lethality killing and closing with the enemy people are going to second and guess it because serving in the military means willing to put your life on the line yeah. uh, you also have to be taught to love your country to want to serve your country and our schools aren't doing that today harris you and i covered that secretary pompeo had said just that that he spoke with legacy families who said i don't want my children to go to the academy even though i'm the third generation to do so and my friends that are currently serving including across federal agencies say the majority of the communication they get from their bosses is about diversity and inclusion it's about politically correct things they say we're being trained to be politically correct, we're being trained in anything but actually performing our duties to be warfighters. We are losing what it is to to be America in the sense of how people want us to fight for them. Yeah. You know, when my dad fought, it was about love of country. And this country was in the 60s in Vietnam, his first tour. And it was a tough time to be a person of color at that time to be a black American. But he would tell all of my relatives, and I was too young to remember, he obviously would tell me this as I got older, that this is the best country on the planet. And you better love it because other people are willing to fight you for it. I'm willing to fight for this country because I love America and she has more potential than any other place on the planet. And so I've always had that instilled in me. I want to ask you something, though. You know, I wrote Faith Still Moves Mountains, and in there is General S. Patton. I never knew that he led his troops, also, speaking of legacy, with faith in his heart. He would get together with chaplains, give me a prayer right before the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, we're talking about battles that changed this world in terms of the word freedom. I'm curious, with all that we're going going through right now, can you imagine if that would even be allowed now? Just... Think about this for a moment. We are the greatest fighting force in the world. America has come to the aid of so many countries and fought for liberty in so many different ways. Without D-Day, Hitler would have triumphed in World War II and who knows how things would be different now. 
We are in a place in our American history right now where we are not teaching our children respect for what has been sacrificed for this country. We have a president who, to my knowledge, has never adequately addressed D-Day in the two Junes that he has been in office. We have people who always say hateful things in the name of free speech, and they always say they have the freedom to do whatever they want, regardless of how it affects others, not realizing the price that was paid so that they could have the freedom to do what they want. There are so many countries today that do not have freedom. We are, of many people, very blessed. And I think we need a refresher on that. And I think it's so important for us to realize that Reagan's philosophy of peace through strength was important. Reagan was such a man that he could threaten countries that would threaten the U.S. and say, I'm going to come after you if you threaten this country. And they wouldn't. There was, I believe it was Iran, released prisoners the day Reagan took office because they knew that he would deal with them swiftly if they didn't. And that's the kind of strength that we need in America. It's not a mentality that says, I want to go to war at all costs. It's a mentality that I want to keep the military strong. I want to stand for truth and justice. And if it requires going to war, I'm willing to do that. And I think we're losing the price of liberty in our culture. And I think it's so important for us to remind our children what the cost of liberty was. What were our founding fathers fighting for when they pledged their their life, their fortunes, and their sacred honor? What did the Revolutionary War accomplish for us? What did the Civil War accomplish for us? What did World War II accomplish for us? We need to know these things. We need to study history. For those that do not learn from the past will be doomed to repeat it. And that leads me to my next story, which is the reflection on Pearl Harbor Day, which is coming up this week from a survivor thereof. Do you realize that it will not be long now until our Vietnam vets will be our oldest vets because we're losing the greatest generation. Your War and Navy Departments present December 7th. December 7th is a very big day, and the 2,403 military men that were killed that day should get the recognition above everybody. They gave their life, and they gave the all. And of those 2,403 men who got killed, 1,177 were on the Arizona shipmates line. By 9.45, the attack was over. One hour and 50 minutes of perfidy. Yeah, I'd like to be there because uh, there's only two of us still living from the Arizona, and Ken Pott, myself, he's in Provo, Utah, 
and his leisure, he's six months older than I am, and his leisure is not in good shape. And, and I talked to him every three, two, three, four weeks. We were going every year for years, and my doctor says, you know, getting there, flying there is only a few hours, but getting to the airport and getting up there and sitting around and waiting there, and, and eight or ten hours is too much for you to, to take at your age. And he said, I don't want you getting sick. Oh, yeah, we'll be here. The family will all be here on the 7th. You know, we'll have a little, we'll watch the, uh, the ceremony on the, the, the TV and everything else. Yeah, it's going to be a sad day, but he's an American hero. You know, not only he's an American hero, he's my hero. You know, so um, it's pretty cool. They call us heroes, but we're not. The ones that are 2,400, three men that died are the heroes, and we've got to honor them ahead of everybody else. I love the fact that this gentleman who survived World War II, who gave his all for his country, still says it's those who died who are the heroes. I'm not a hero. And that's the kind of man and woman that we need in America today. Not one that's seeking to be a hero, not one that thinks they're a hero, but someone that will humbly stand up and stand in the gap for this country and its families and its communities. And you can do that without going to war. But the only way that we are able to go to any sort of war, whether it be a physical war like World War II, or whether it be an intellectual or a spiritual war, like the ones that we're going on in our culture today, is by having courage and backbone. And the only way to have courage and backbone is to spend time in the Word of God and to be encouraged by Jesus himself, who said, Happy are you when men revile you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake and the gospel's. See, it's not popular to take the biblical stance. We've seen that with Candace Cameron Bure with this great American family kerfuffle. I find it very interesting that there's a gentleman who made a great American family movie this year who now says he's walking away because of the controversy that Candace Cameron Bure stirred up. Which... I have a hard time understanding how it's controversy when she said when they first started working on the condom for Great American Family that they wanted to do Christ-honoring projects. I've seen multiple articles with that bent, and I'm sure that when he signed his contract, they sat down and said, this is what we're going to do, and he signed on. So I don't think that he is standing up because of her views. I think he knew her views. Anybody that has known about Candace for any length of time knows her views. She is very consistent. No, what he is doing is standing up against the backlash, which he does not want to endure. I mean, that's just the facts. And I think that we need to pray for those at Great American Family that they would continue to feel that this is important to be a bastion. And some people will say, well, Christians shouldn't be involved in TV. But the re- the reality is that people watch TV. And so since TV is an important medium, it's important for Christians to be involved 
to the extent that they can and to make an impact where people are. That's part of being a believer is meeting people where they are. And so I just think it's important that we pray for Candace and the others involved with Great American Family. As you'll see, hopefully, from my movie review that I'm going to share with you in a few minutes, you'll see that they are doing a good job so far, and I just pray that it continues for a long time to come. All right, well, last week when I talked to you, we were anticipating, or rather celebrating, the victory of Michigan over Ohio State, and that propelled them to a battle with Purdue for the Big Ten Championship. Wolverines first and ten. They're opening possession. J.J. has the handoff, or takes the snap, rather. He's going to fire towards the end zone. Up, and Coastal Loveland's got it as he rolls over the goal line into the end zone. Touchdown, Wolverines. From 25 yards, the freshman with his second touchdown of the year. And how about that? Now they bring Colston Loveland in motion, and will hand it off to Donovan Edwards. Makes a good cut in the backfield. Now back towards the middle of the field, inside the 10, runs through a tackler to the goal line. Donovan Edwards, touchdown. 27 yards, weaving through the Boilermaker defense, and the Wolverines have added to their lead. Wow, what a great, great run. Let's count the missed tackles. One, two, another three, four, five. I mean, he's just running through everything. He broke seven tackles on that run. Great job of even getting out of the backfield. Make the two guys miss in the backfield. Kalel continues in an eye formation. He'll take the handoff and fight for the end zone. He's in. Touchdown, Kalel Mullings. And the Wolverines strike quickly in the second half. John? Not much secret where they were going on that one. You love that drive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you start off with that run by Donovan Edwards. A 60-yard run sets the tone in the second half. You go down, and, and Doug, you mentioned this at the start of the game. All right, hey, that's probably... Now they bring Colston Loveland in motion, and we'll hand it off to Donovan Edwards. Makes a good cut in the backfield. Now back towards the middle of the field. Inside the 10. Runs through a tackler to the goal line. Donovan Edwards. Touchdown. 27 yards. Weaving through the Boilermaker defense. And the Wolverines have added to their lead. Wow, what a great, great run. Let's count the missed tackles. One, two, another three, four, five. I mean, he's just running through everything. He broke seven tackles on that run. Great job of even getting out of the backfield. Make the two guys miss in the backfield. They're split to the right, one to the left. J.J.'s got it. Back to pass. Looking, fires to the end zone. And it is caught. Touchdown. Ronnie Bell in the back of the end zone. And Michigan extends their lead. So there are some highlights provided by the radio voices of the Michigan Wolverines and Michigan would roll to a 45 to 23 win after keeping it close in the first half as tends to be their modus operandi. So now they are facing a late December matchup with the Texas Horn Frogs with the possibility of facing either Georgia or Ohio State in the national championship. And I got to say that if Ohio State can somehow knock off Georgia, who is the odds-on favorite to win it all, they're just steamrolling everyone, it would be at least somewhat intriguing for Michigan and Ohio State 
to face off in the game part two on January 12th for a national title. I never would have thought that it would be possible, but that would be probably the most epic Michigan-Ohio State game in the history of the rivalry. So we will just have to wait and see what happens with that. But I give a ton of credit to Jim Harbaugh, and I'm very thankful to Michigan for not giving up on Jim. I know there were some years when people were calling for the ouster of Jim, and I remember possibly even having similar feelings myself, but then the one question I would always ask is, who are you going to get besides him? And staying the course with him ended up being the thing to do. Uh, he is 23-1 and over the last two seasons regular season, and he's going to his second straight college football playoff after winning his second straight Big Ten championship outright. If you remember last year, he beat Iowa. So, mad props to the Michigan Wolverines. We will be pulling for you in late December. Go Blue! All right, so today I have the privilege of sharing with you my review of a Christmas present on GAC, Great American Family. And, you know, I was really excited when I heard Candace Cameron Bure say they wanted to keep traditional families at the core of what they did at Great American Family. Let me just say this, that I believe that regardless of your feelings on marriage, that even if you are for gay marriage, from a practical standpoint, you should not be against this. Because, just as an example, say there are 700 channels of TV. There are approximately 698, maybe a little bit less, because there may be a few other exceptions, but there's tons of channels that produce whatever they want and do not have any high standards as far as traditional families go on their radar. Even Hallmark. You know, I remember being shocked a year ago or even two years ago that they were starting to add um, alternative lifestyles to their storylines. And I just often, when these things come up, I think about those who end up suing Christian bakers or Christian website designers. There's thousands of bakers or thousands of website designers, but they choose those who are controversial so they can make a point. And I wish that we lived in a society where people were allowed to believe what they wanted to believe separate from you. But we don't. You're allowed to have any view you want, as long as it's not a traditional Christian one. So I really applaud Candace for making her stand and not backing down from it. But let's not act shocked that she made this declaration. It's not shocking. She's been very consistent about how she values traditional marriage, how she loves her husband, how she's in submission to her husband. 
these biblical concepts that are so hard for the world to understand. This has been a consistent part of her brand and her testimony for years. So acting like this is a new revelation is just in bad taste by the mainstream media. But with that being said, I am privileged to be able to share this review for a movie that I thought showed surprising depth. Uh, And I want to start out with our quote of the day. And this quote of the day comes from Candace Cameron Bure. She said, as they were launching GAC, I'm very excited to develop heartwarming family and faith-filled programming and make the kind of stories my family and I love to watch. GAC fits my brand perfectly. We share a vision of creating compelling, wholesome content for an audience who wants to watch program for and with the whole family. And this is something that I respected about Hallmark for many years. I felt like that you could watch the stuff for and with the whole family. And I do believe there's still a lot of content there that you can watch for and with the whole family. So please don't get me wrong. Uh, but I think part of the reason that GAC came to be is because uh, the man that is running GAC, he left Hallmark to start this channel And I think part of it has come down to the woke decisions by Hallmark. It's like I was saying earlier, there's so many other channels that you can watch. Why do you need to bring an agenda, a political agenda, into Hallmark? I ventured to guess at the time, and I I still sort of believe this, that there probably aren't very many... uh, of those of the homosexual persuasion who even watch Hallmark, but they, but they make it an issue because anything they can do to press the envelope, uh, they will do. The final thing I'll say on this particular issue is consider black entertainment television. If a white person went to black entertainment television and said, I want to make a sitcom and put it on your network, it would not fly because it's black entertainment television. But I've also said for many years that if someone came up with white entertainment television, they would be considered racist. So I just think we need to be fair in the way that we're representing things. And with that being said, I am ready to launch into my review as soon as I share with you a trailer for a Christmas present. How long has it been? We are going to spend Christmas in Ohio with your Uncle Paul and Ashley. I have to work. We're the only family they have. It's up to us. Hey, are you with me? Oh my goodness! Merry Christmas! Come home, come home, come home, come home for Christmas. We are going to have a fantastic Christmas. A Christmas present premieres Sunday, November 27th at 8, only on Great American Family. As I get into this review, I want to address some people who may think another channel that I have to buy or get on cable, 
but if I can just let you know about a very cost-effective way to watch this, let me encourage you to check out Friendly TV. I would encourage you to Google it and check out their free trials. They have plans that range from $6.99 a month, and the premium plan, the highest one that they have, is only $110 a year, and you get unlimited DVR and 40-plus channels, of which GAC and GAC Living are part of that network of channels. So if you want an affordable way to watch GAC, and not only that, but to ditch your cable, I would recommend Friendly. We've had it for almost a year, and it's been a blessing to us, and I really hope that you will take the chance to get a free trial from them. I believe it's a one-week free trial that they give you to evaluate it and decide if you want to keep it. And I would say after almost a year that it is indeed worth it. So the premise of this story is you have two basically workaholic parents who love their kids but keep things too busy to focus on what is important and that is family and faith. So the cast includes Candace Cameron Bray as Maggie Larson, Mark Blaukis as Eric Larson, Paul Fitzgerald as Paul McCormick, Claire Sepak as Becca Larson, Kayla Davies as Ashley McCormick, and Caleb Reese Paul as Will Larson, among others. And I thought this was very well cast. I liked the kids that they had portraying these parts, and I I thought they were believable as a family. Candace Cameron Bure, of course, did a wonderful job, and Mark Blockus did a great job as the husband in this film. So the premise of the film is that this family gets overworked, and they need to get away for Christmas. So... Maggie, the mother, decides to pack them all up and take them to her brother's place in Ohio. I believe they're in the Chicago, Illinois area. But they go to Ohio for Christmas, and the subplot is that her brother has lost his wife uh, just a few months prior, I believe, to the events of the film. She has died of cancer or something related to that. And so... It's an interesting juxtaposition of the this one family that has seems to have it all together with the husband and wife and two kids and the other family with the dad and the daughter who have gone through immeasurable uh, tragedy and yet are still happy and enjoying life. And that contrast will serve to be a catalyst for this film in many ways. Um, so the mom, Maggie, she is all about checklists and doing everything the right way and getting it done. And the dad is focused on a merger that he's dealing with from a legal standpoint. He's an attorney and they're just so busy. And then they go and visit Paul and his daughter, Ashley. And as I said, Paul and Ashley are happy despite their circumstances. And it's, an interesting situation where Maggie plans a lot of Christmas activities and kind of overwhelms 
Paul and Ashley at first, but they learn to get along and they do many great activities like a Christmas scavenger hunt and Santa selfies and a Christmas escape room where they're learning to have fun together and enjoy life. But Paul and Ashley also want to do simple things like sit around a fire pit and do snowman s'mores and talk about Christmas memories. And so through the course of the film, Maggie and her family learn to slow down and appreciate Christmas more. And one of the subplots is that Maggie and her husband are drifting apart and they don't know how to put it back together. And they have a couple harsh disagreements, but eventually they find each other again and realize the value of family and that they shouldn't wait until it's too late to put their relationship back together because Paul points out that it was his wife's sickness and the eminence of her death that made him appreciate her more. And he says, don't wait until you get a call like that before you do something. What did I like about this film? I liked the fact that there was scripture scattered throughout that faith in God was seen as an important thing. Paul says the only way that he got through what he went through with his wife, both relationally before she died and after she died, was through his faith in the Lord Jesus. So that is a really exciting thing to see a film portray that. And it's an exciting fulfillment about what Candace Cameron Bure said when she was said she was excited about making faith-filled movies. What did I not like about this film? I I think one of the things that I would would have liked to have, and I realized that the two-hour Hallmark-style movie does not lend itself to this, but I would have liked to have more exposition, like how did his wife die, and how did it, did it affect him and his daughter at first? Because he does talk about pulling away from his family and how bad that was um, and how he wants to get back in closer relationship with his sister, who is Maggie. And I think I would have liked to have a conversation more with Maggie and her husband where they talk to their kids and say, you know, we see you guys becoming more like us than than you should. We're going to change who we are by God's grace, and we want to encourage you to prioritize other things. There was implication of that, but not really something talked about in a major way. And of course, the plot is kind of light as pertains to this type of movie because you can only dig so deep in the hour and a half playing time plus commercials that you have. But I thought it was a very good film and I really liked the conversations that they had around faith and I liked the patience that her brother showed with her. Um, Because sometimes when our family members are making mistakes, we just want to shake them or drag them to church and he doesn't do that. Uh, When they go to their Christmas Eve service, she says she's not feeling well because she doesn't want to go to church and be a hypocrite. But he he leaves her be, and then she realizes that they forgot a pie for a post-church fellowship, and she brings the pie to the church and gets convicted to go in 
and hear the message, which is one that the pastor gave about the greatest Christmas gift being given by God himself, a baby laid in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, who is, of course, Jesus. And so I just thought that was really cool. I thought it was neat how the siblings learned to have fun with their cousin. Uh, They complained a little bit about some of the things they were doing, but they wanted to make their parents happy, which I think is a legitimate thing, even though it shouldn't be the primary reason they were doing the things they were doing. I think it is a legitimate thing, and so that was kind of neat as well. And I liked the way that Ashley and Paul related. Paul obviously saw Ashley as the most important thing in his life, and he made sure that she felt loved and cared for. And she was a very happy girl, and you could tell that it was because of her father. And you could just tell as Maggie and her husband Eric started to thaw toward one another, you could tell there was a real earnest desire for reconciliation, even though they hadn't separated they realized the need to get back on the same page. And that's actually the premise of a Christmas present is the idea of not just celebrating Christmas, not just have Christmas happen around you, but to be present in Christmas. I was reminded of what Scrooge says in A Christmas Carol when he says, the spirits of past, present, and future will strive within me. And I will try to keep them with me all the year. And so I really like that side premise too of of making the truths of Scripture something that are a part of your daily life. It's exciting each year to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. But what is the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ? The significance of the birth of Jesus Christ is that he changes your life and he will make you never the same. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So what is the biggest lesson in this film? Well, I think the biggest lesson in this film is that you have to run your life or your life will run you. I think both Maggie and Eric are very well-meaning and they want to do their best at their jobs. They want to do their best in life. They want to give to others But sometimes you just have to slow down and experience life. It doesn't always have to be in a checklist and it doesn't always have to go the way that you expect it to go. And that is something that Maggie learns is that the beauty of being together at Christmas was not in her Christmas trivia game for one instance, but was in them being together, whether it was doing Christmas trivia or doing paper angels for the Christmas tree, whatever it was, the fact that they were together was most important. I didn't really have a least favorite part of this movie. I thought it was very well done from beginning to end. And I have to say that there wasn't really much outlandish about the premise. I think the fact that it was about a a married couple rekindling their romance as opposed to being one where a guy comes back to his hometown after so many years and falls in love with the girl that he once loved, or vice versa, 
the fact that they were working on an actual relationship that had already been in place gave it a strength of character that other films uh, did not have. And so I really, really uh, liked that aspect. I don't think there were any really negative or nasty characters either. Um, But I think that it really comes down to just realizing what you have and and grabbing on before it's gone uh, because it can easily be gone. And I think it's a good reminder to me when I'm doing family things to just enjoy my family and not to be annoyed by them because family can be annoying. But the reality is that your family is some people that God gave you and he has a purpose for putting you in the family that he did. And I think it's also important to realize that relationships take work. We are in a culture that says that anything that is work is not worth it. And a perfect example is the way that people approach children. Because I've heard an increasing number of people say that they never want kids. People that aren't even married yet are saying they don't want kids. And it just blows my mind to think about that. But I think what happens is people think about the work that is involved and they don't think of the payoff as being good enough. So they're like, I'm just not going to go through the effort of having kids because it's too much work. It would disrupt my life too much. But what we don't realize is that the things that are most worth having often take the most work. And we have to get out of this mentality that if it takes work, it's not worth it. You know, that's really kind of the approach that we need to take in the pro-life movement too, is to not just to say, don't kill your child, but to tell people this is why your child is valuable. Uh, Because all children are valuable because they're made in the image of God. So, I wholeheartedly recommend that you watch A Christmas Present. Again, if you don't have GAC, you can get it through Friendly. Uh, Do a free trial for a week this holiday season. Check out their offerings. And if you like it, keep it. I really like having Friendly TV available, and it beats the price of our Dish Network and DirecTV bills by a mile. I think we pay about as much per year as we were at one point paying per month. And so I'm very pleased with that, and I wholeheartedly recommend it. Well, I hope that you uh, will be present um, with your family this Christmas and that this review and this podcast has been encouraging to you. I do want to say in closing of this review is that that is definitely something that came out loud and clear too is that Paul talked about how he reached a place in his relationship with his wife where he knew that the only way that there could be help was for God to intervene because he couldn't do it on his own. And that's the way it is for us in our interpersonal relationships, too. We're not made to do this on our own. We're not made to 
sustain relationships on our own. We need God to help us. We are not capable as fallible human beings of perfect love. We only get perfect love through the Holy Spirit of God. So as we, as we rely on God, we are able to love others and love them sacrificially. So I think that is another big lesson of this movie. So what is my ranking for GAC as a Christmas present? My ranking for this film is four and a half out of five stars. Uh, the acting could have been a little better, but I think everything from the script to the acting to just the overall joy that the story filled me with made it very highly rated. So four and a half out of five stars. Um, I choked up multiple times, so you might want to keep some tissues handy. And I hope that you will enjoy this film with your family and talk about the storyline because I think it's very applicable to real families in real situations today. Well, that's about all the time I have for today's episode. As I said, we will be digging into my top 10 Christmas Carol episodes of all time starting next week. If you have a favorite Christmas Carol, you can contact me with the contact information at the end of the show and let me know what yours is, and I may read that off on the air. You can also leave a voicemail if you click on the microphone on the right-hand side of the blog. Most of all, I just want you to know that you are more than welcome to reach out to the show and let us know how we have helped you or how we can help you. Maybe you have a show idea for 2023. We want to hear from you. Until next week, this is Andrew Gomison saying, have a great one and keep serving the best of masters. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 